There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast with Benji Narsen on this Wednesday evening for Dwarves Door of Lantern. 2021 men and women's recap if you're watching on youtube you're likely watching the men's recap right now i'll have a separate women's recap video if you'd like listening on the podcast players which we encourage you to do we're agnostic as to which platforms you want to listen or watch on uh it's all in one file on the podcast players before we get into the race i want to mention one of our sort of our our home team, Drops LaCole, you already know Drops uh, LaCole is the show partner for the entire year. Drops LaCole competed in Dwarsdor of London today. They'll be at Tour of Flanders on Sunday. And, you know, you can pre-order your Drops LaCole kit if you like it. It's clearly the best women's kit in the Women's Pro Peloton World Tour or not. I mean, the fact that it's not purple just Shows great insight from LaCole. That alone is enough. But they've got info in the LaCole Instagram bio about uh, Drops LaCole's performance today. And there'll be lots more content, I'm sure, there and on Drops LaCole's IG ahead of Flanders on Saturday or Sunday and during the day. But this race, Benji, you're Belgian. It's one of your defining characteristics. Explain to me <laughs> what. What is this race? What does Dwarz Dua mean? What does Ronde Van mean for the people who don't know, which also include me? Dwarz Dua means straight through, and Ronde Van means the tour off. So okay. um, <laughs> there's basically no real difference because the tour off goes straight through Flanders, <laughs> and straight through Flanders is a tour of Flanders. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, very confusing in it, but... It's a different race, and I can tell you that it's very different when it comes to the history as well. Ronde van Vlaanderen being a uh, a monument to Tour of Flanders. It's been around for a while. Towards the Vlaanderen as well, but not in the shape that it is now. It was a, a different race, I think, in 2016, 2015, because back then it was not a World Tour race. It wasn't the top of the league race. It was a 1HC race. Um, basically, when it comes to race categories, that's just under World Tour. That is now called One Dot Pro. Um, yes. They changed that name because they also changed the second division in cycling to Pro Tour. But um, anyway, talking about it, this race. Well, I think that I've got an issue with this race. When it was back in 2013, okay. 2014, <laughs> 2015, <laughs> it was kind of the classic in which you would see the younger riders and teams getting opportunities in cobble races and also having the ability of showing themselves for the first time. It's the kind of race where Yellow Eyes came forward the first time and Edward Turns came forward one of the first times. When they were younger, they could ride against a smaller field to show themselves on the cobbles and that way they could get the likes of contracts and the teams they are now. And I feel like Dwarves of London has changed that. They were attempting to be a bit of a secondary tour of Flanders 
in the preparation of the Tour of Flanders because now it's on Wednesday while the Tour of Flanders is on Sunday. And that offers a great opportunity for riders that want to ride the Tour of Flanders to have this as a preparation race, which means that a lot of the riders that ride this race also ride it as a preparation race and don't necessarily want to go like the ultimate all out to try and take the victory here. They're going to try and ride at a certain amount. And if they say, oh, I, I can, yeah, I'm in, I'm in the third group now. I'm not even going to try getting getting back because that will spend too much energy that I'll need at the end of the week in the Tour of Flanders. And I think a lot of riders in this race do think about the Tour of Flanders a lot while racing this. And that comes into play in the, uh, in the recap we'll do in a bit. But I think that's how I don't necessarily like Dwarves of Flanders overly much. Also because there's just so many Belgian classics in World Tour that I'd be down to like retract this one out of it and get a Scandinavian one instead because there's cycling fans all over the world and I feel like it's purely focused on a lot of well or British one not a, not a lot of countries or what Britain has cobbled streets and narrow punchy climbs aplenty through technical run-ins so yeah I agree I think as a general principle if your race is midweek and not on a weekend you're gonna have to have a pretty strong argument for it being a world tour race if it's a one-day race obviously stage races go across but yeah if you don't have the history and it's a midweek race is it really should it really be world tour anyway 184k long race about 1500 meters elevation they do a fair few cobble climbs they start with the new oh, the, the Kloisberg and the new quadramont with 72 and 80 k's in then with after 106 k's they start the series of climbs that go for about 43 kilometers that includes the Kloisberg, the Nochteberg, Trieu twice, Steenbeck Threes, Tienberg, Kreuzberg, Hattond. And then there's a flat section and with 23 k to go, there's a couple of non-threatening climbs left, the Tichenberg and the Holstrat, although Tichenberg destroyed Wapenart the other day. And then there's a 11K largely flat run into the finish. So it can be a hard race. Uh, we had MVDP Alaphilippe lining up on the start. I was pretty excited for that. I mean, Quickstep very strong. Askren de Klerk steals Lampard, Ballerini, Seneschal, got Christoph, Echov, Cry Anderson, Nitzola, Sturven, winner of MSR. So stacked fields. But you wouldn't know it from the race, Benji, um, because it was Quebec Assos taking it up i think the action really kicked off if you want want to watch back from about 60 kilometers plus to go going into the tyenberg quebec asos were pacing quite a bit ethan hater had been up the road for ineos their plan seemed to be to dangle riders off the front as much as possible throughout the day he looked really good Quebec Assos pacing, they go through a left-hand corner, there's a crash, Viviani crashes, one of the Alps and riders crashes, and that catches Hitchcock and Quickstep behind. Then they go into the Timeberg, they split, MVDP is not in good position, we've got Ballerini, Askren, Pidcock, Alaphilippe, all at the back, and it's kind of mixed group going off the front. I think it might have had GVA in it, Hold it at that point. It definitely had Dylan Van Baal for Ineos in it. He looked good at Ken Vavelhem when he attacked out of that chase group and came in the top 10. He then rode 
I think, the plateau for a little bit. And then on the the next climb, the very next climb, about 3Ks later, the Bergten Hooter, he attacked that group and really smart move. It He immediately got a 20-second gap. MVDP was nowhere to be seen. He was like at the back of group two and – Alaphilippe was in G3 at this point. There was Os, Pollitt, Sturven, Christoph, maybe Nitzolo, definitely Campanats in Group 2. They then go on to the next climb, or oh, the second to next climb. They do the Kreuzberg Hotond. Not too much happens. And so, or uh, I think put Os up the road to try and bridge back. Durbridge and Oliveira on UAE tried to go across. They got ate about 20 seconds into the Dylan Van Baal gap, who's just riding his own pace, but then they eventually got caught. They get onto the Nochterberg trio, which is the main last climb, and Dylan Van Baal does his own pace over 30 seconds behind in Group 2. Van Avermaet attacks. He brings with him Bargui, Durbridge, Laporte, Sturvin, Campanat, Seneschal, Pollitt, Oliveira, MVDP goes backwards. We'll talk about that in a second. And then Group 3, another 25 seconds behind chasing, has some of the sprinty boys, Christoph Nitzolo, Cockard, Gossier, Cortina, Wellens, and Pollitt, Benert, and Turns. Group 4, a minute 20 back. Allers there somewhere. MVDP's gone in there, I think, as well. Why do you think – What? It, well, first off, Benji, what was going on? Why were Alaphilippe and MVDP way at the back today, particularly MVDP? Well, I've actually uh, waited to hear what he said after the race to really get my conclusions out because during the race I was like, yeah, it's, this is so unlike Vanderpool and I I thought he's probably like using this as training or something. But apparently after the race he said he was genuinely, his legs were blocking on the climb and he was like, okay, I'm done. And um, he seemed to react exactly uh, the following words. Uh, before the climb I dropped on, I was on my limit or I felt that I was on my limit. And I said uh, through my earpiece that I wasn't having a very good day at all. And the, the, um, the journalist asked him, uh, were you hiding for Sunday? And he said, no, nah, I wouldn't be logical. I've never done that before. And he said, I would have rather raced to win, but it wasn't in my legs today. And finally, he also added, um, Sunday's a different race. Uh, he's not going to uh, lose sleep over today's performance. So I think that while he probably wanted to race better today, he doesn't care too much about the eventual result. When it comes to Alaphilippe, I don't have a clue. I, um, like I think it was the crash. The initial reaction, I think. Well, I think that just put him on the back foot having to chase yeah? then for the rest of the climbs and he didn't. You know, add Seneschal up front, Askren maybe a bit tired. Yeah. I think that kind of stuffed his race up, to be honest. Well, did you see something differently? Yeah, yeah no, I think that it's probably uh, very likely to do that. But I, I just noticed that the Koenig Quickstep was so, like, absent today. They were also caught yeah. behind on the time back, but I've always also noticed that, like, Ballerini dropping with 50 people to go is, is a bit early. I'd expect him to drop with, like, 25 Riders left in that front group. Osgreen dropping at the same moment seems a bit weird to me. Uh, just a few like interesting points, but I don't know whether I can really draw conclusions out of this race for Sunday. Like some riders will probably have sandbagged, some riders will not have done that, but just had a bad day 
and it's impossible for us to guess whether one or the other is uh, the case here without like a history of a rider doing it frequently, to be honest. So, I mean, I don't have too much to add for this race <laughs> other than Dylan Van Baal got a 25-second gap and he did not let that gap get any smaller for the rest of this race. Very high performance from Dylan Van Baal, who you have to say is better in these Cobble Classics races right now than any one of the Azure Desert Citroën riders, particularly their marquee signings this year, apart from maybe Cosnefroy, who obviously is the GOAT, but he's injured right now. So Van Baal, sorry, go on. I disagree. I think that we shouldn't be too hard on Azizer knowing that they were fourth and sixth in E3 as well because it, it, it wasn't easy to get in that group. They made one tactical decision to let Osgrain go at that moment. They were probably relatively a block, but could still post an attack. We spoke about it a lot on the E3 podcast. I don't think we can say that both Van Avamad and Nassen have ridden badly this preseason. I think that no, they've... No, no. I would take nah, DVB I, over them, though. That's my point. I wouldn't. I wouldn't okay. because I feel like DVB needs to ride away before the hills happen to be able to stick with them. And we see that every time. I think in Ronde van Vlaanderen 2017, the year where he um, was riding just behind the attack of Sigan, Nassen, and Van Avermaet until they crashed on the outer quadrimont, then passed them, and then was second in that race for the latter part. He also attacked early in that race together with Pedersen. And I think that he needs that. He needs to go for that long solo because if he does that, he can stick himself up there and he can stay in that position for a while. So we've seen him do it multiple times. And today he did it and they didn't come back. And on a tour of Flanders, they would likely come back because I think that there's also just a difference of it being a different race, Tours of Flanders versus Tour of Flanders. And this is less hard than having the consecutive climbs of the Paterberg and the Auto Quadermont, and also the fact that the kilometers are way more in the Tour of Flanders, I think that comes into play to whether the solo would succeed or not. So very great performance, uh, extremely strong performance, but I think that Von Barla needs a special situation to get in the situation to be able to achieve this, and that's yep. with early attacks like today. And that situation, the reason he was able to maintain that gap to the chasing groups behind was the composition of groups two and three for the last hour of the race. And it felt like to me, Benji, that the riders in group two, I don't know, maybe if they'd allowed group three to catch up quicker, then you could have had more teams with multiple riders in the group, like Campanarts, I'm pretty sure, was blocking in group two because he had Nitsolo in group three. You had basically Bargui, Sturven, Laporte pacing a lot. Aura tried to always attack across big surges with Niels Pollitt. Um, yeah, Buggy looked really good on the cobbles, but I think the the race potential fast race winners, Christoph behind with multiple teammates, etc. Um, maybe if they can join quicker, they would have been able to have a better concerted chase of uh, Dylan Van Bar. Maybe if they came together, then Van Avermaet would have attacked again, and I think we saw some of that as well. It just really wasn't a coordinated chase. 
which is interesting to me because with MVDP and Alphalete not there, Quickstep looking vulnerable, big opportunity, Benji, for some of these teams to get a World Tour Classics result. And Ineos took that with both hands today. As Benji astutely said, Dylan Van Balen, Ineos, they know their riders, Pidcock aside, are not as punchy as Alaphilippe and Van der Poel, but they got engines, so particularly Van Baal. So you get him up the road, dangle him. Is there an attack behind? Maybe he gets caught. He's in a reduced group. He can attack out of it later, but no one caught him. So he won ahead of 30 seconds plus, ahead of Christophe Laporte, who attacked out of the group behind. Tim Merlier, third. Lampard, fourth. Tosh, Van der Sander, fifth. Christophe, sixth. Van Avermaet, seventh. Turgis, eighth. Seneschal, ninth. Sturven, tenth. Pretty, pretty good from Ineos. I mean, they get criticised or have been, I think, unfairly for not getting a lot of classics results, but I think they perform pretty consistently. Take it out here. Don't think they're winning Flanders, famous last words, but um, no <laughs> Mads Pedersen today, Benji. He was still in Leonardo quarantine. Leonardo Basso, mate. Pardon? Leonardo Basso will uh, surprise yeah. everybody. Oh, and do. Possibly. <laughs> Yeah, any any last thoughts on this race, Benji? Um, any tips um, for next year? For next year, I don't know. Like, it just feels so weird that it's such a preparation race, and therefore it's impossible for us to judge whether riders are using this as really a, a chance to win or a preparation for RVV. I think a combination of both if they're in the right situation, but I don't think they'll go all out if they're in second or third group to try and come back, knowing that they've got such an effort to go to in the in the end of the week. So I don't know. I've got a mixed feeling about today. Uh, the only thing I want to add is that Viviani fell in the race and is off to the hospital. So I hope that it's pretty all right for that guy because he only just won uh, recently at, uh, well, that race that everybody talks about the wrong thing. Well, the right thing. I don't know. <laughs> it's difficult to uh, process, but the uh, Buhani event race uh, was won by Viviani. So I'm happy that Viviani did it. Did it. And um, I'm glad to see him reach for the top of a race again because uh, after heart surgery, I will, I'm always kind of worried when it comes to a rider. Yeah. I mean, speaking about that, everyone's jumped on the uh, the Nasser Bawani is the worst person in cycling. He should be a punching bag. Uh, debate. Benji and I were going to talk about it yesterday. I got caught up. I mean, I'm supposed to have highlights of this race. I had a deal. I thought, well, I did have a deal, sort of, for them at the end of last week. And uh, yeah, it's just been a bit of a pain, to be honest. So I was trying to sort that out yesterday, unfortunately. So that got in the way of the Buani discussion. But I think Benji, yeah, don't like the move. I mean, no one, Benji, has actually articulated the rule he's broken and got into the, had he launched his sprint? Have you launched your sprint if you're still in someone's slipstream, if you're coming out of your lead out, man? So the rule he's breached is clearly, it's not the sprint rule, it's the reckless endangerment rule, right? Um, but anyway, no. people, they're going to be more critical of riders who, A, they got a bad reputation, B, He's French. He's never going to do interviews to the English-speaking media. I assume yep. most of the people listening here consume their cycling news from English, you know, the majority of you English-speaking 
media outlets. So people who don't speak English in media interviews will get bashed harder. I may be guilty of it with Movistar sometimes. I'm like, no, I don't do it intentionally, yep. but and I try to be fair. Yumbo Visma, like we've been very, very critical of them. Um, but Sam Bennett, like the stuff he did to Quintana, the stuff he did to Emil Schleipens, I don't see, you know, these places that dip in and out of pro cycling news coverage doing standalone features about that sort of stuff. Uh, but yeah, what's your thoughts on on it, Benji? We've had a short one today. Yeah, when it comes to um, when it comes to the uh, country of the rider, it's very important to uh, discuss as well because, like you mentioned, a rider that is not from an English speaking country is not going to address or have the support of his nation in that language to try and uh, defend him or defend what he does. And I think that I noticed mostly because I, uh, I'm also part of a, a French cycling discord and I was speaking with French people there and it feels like a way more mixed feeling about it than I was noticing on Twitter where everybody was straight up on Buhani. Now, my personal opinion is that he's straight up, he broke the reckless endangerment rule. He should be disqualified for what he did in the race. I believe that looking back at what Hironewegen did and how that led to the punishment that Hironewegen got afterwards. So bastard disqualification, because let's be real, a disqualification for a sprinter that is losing the sprint, he just loses the sprint again. So it's not like it matters too much if Hani gets disqualified in a sprint or not. It's a punishment after it that counts. And I think that he needs to be punished out of competition for a bit. I uh, am unclear what to do, though. I was thinking, like a lot of people were like thinking three months, six months, or nine months. Nine months being the amount that Grunewagen got. But let's be real. Grunewagen did not get nine months of suspension on, if we look at it no. realistically. It was backdated he received five he was months. injured. Yeah, it's all re- retroactively, which means that he was, one, injured, but he also had an off-season during that. Yeah. <laughs> and um, eventually that leads to the fact that people now expect nine months for Buhani, but if it's in the middle of the season, then he's going to get more punishment than Grunewagen. And I find that unfair. I believe that he should get a few months of penalty. I think that it's three. probably like three months or something, I think is good, yeah. Um, and the reason being that he should get one because he's, one, done it before, but also next to that, it doesn't matter if you do it as before, it only increases the penalty if you have done it before, in my opinion. And therefore, I'm aiming for like three months or something with my thought process. I believe that what he did was not supposed to uh, be a thing. He obviously didn't have, like, a lot of people were also saying he had the only uh, thought process to try and uh, push Stewart into the barrier. I don't think that's true. He's trying to win the race. Yeah, he's trying to win the race and he makes a move and doesn't care if someone is in the will of Viviani. And he makes that move, he slashes into Viviani and, no, into, sorry, Stewart, not Viviani, Viviani won yeah. the race. And he did that because, well, he didn't care if somebody was in the wheel and the not caring part, the negligence is the issue. And that is something that makes me kind of feel like it needs to be punished as well. If it was just that, for example, he loses his balance and rides into Stewart, it's a completely different situation. But he, okay, didn't. he just wanted to win the race, he moved to the left. Okay, go. Devil's advocate, what 
suspension did Pascal Ackerman get for his move in shelter price last year where he actually caused a ride to hit the deck at 70 k's an hour? Well, I think nothing. we were calling for one, but he got nothing. Yeah. So that's the issue he, here that they only started and didn't give a punishment who was there. Sorry, go on. Like, like you're right, but yeah, I, I obviously don't conclude the uh, consistency of the UCI, but it's fucked, you know, because they no, only my started problem giving is suspension problem. like that. Yeah. It's yeah. n- we, we agree it's not consistent. My problem is the UCI are going to suspend Buhani because more people in the media are putting pressure yeah. on them to do so than with Ackerman. And that's my problem with it. If it was just the UCI being ran, but it's like yeah. the media are going to be – like the Ackerman thing was pretty bad in my view and people like oh he's a nice guy but i was like oh you saw in the end of uh hen favelham i did it in the freeze frame nitzolo he wanted to swing into trenton to get onto wealth and arts wheel but he he had to half pedal for like a microsecond just to wait for the gap to open up he had to do the right thing peter sagan against hugo hofstetter in the sprint he got uh, relegated for he didn't get any sanction for he did close to the same move on Hofstetter he's on got two lines you got Azure Dezer rider moving up on the right hand side on the barrier got Hofstetter on his wheel Sagan is on the left of the Azure Dezer rider Sagan sees him moving up quicker tries to slot onto his wheel pinches Hofstetter Hofstetter said on Twitter too, like he made a big deal about it. He's like, what the hell? I nearly got fucking put into the barriers. I had to break to not go to the hospital today. Not a problem. Same move as Buani, pretty much. Uh, Elisa Longaborghini, dirty move against Amy yeah. Van Vleuten in Worlds for the third. Like deliberately looked, saw Van Vleuten coming and nearly put her into the barriers. Definitely intentional. Grona Vegans worse than Buani. You can't say it wasn't intentional shutting the door. So I'm just saying it's there's a lot of these things that go unpunished. Uh, I If we want to draw a line in the sand and say, okay, well, today we're going to take them very seriously. Buani's getting six to 12 weeks. Grona Vegan got nine months. Anyone plays up, you're going to get a similar infraction. That's fine, but I don't think that's the way it's going to happen. Do you reckon next time Bennett or whoever, Caleb Ewan too, you know, puts a shoulder into someone who's trying to, you know, half take their lead out men's wheel, Benji, that if they don't crash, they're going to get sanctioned? No, I don't think so. And I think we've repetitively mentioned every single time when something similar happens that a lot of stuff is inconsistent. And if they like, yeah, it's really hard to like. Our house Saudi tour to Buhani cost him the GC in 2020. Yeah. There's so <laughs> many examples. There's like an endless amount of examples at this point. I, I like at the end of last year, I was going to try and write something about it, but I realized that once I was like two hours into writing the document about like every <laughs> single incident I remember, I had like 24 incidents written down. And Mate, they you were mentioned all it inconsistent every second day. I think the one you mentioned just a second ago, the Longo Borghini one, is the most extreme one because there's not too much coverage of women's races. Less people watch women's races. And because of that, 
the media is going to punch less on people that do this stuff in women's races as well. Longo Borghini almost pushed Van Vleuten into the barriers, and I'm pretty sure she didn't get a disqualification. We don't know. No, no, she, know I think she, she got, got relegated, relegated from third to third. We don't know because the paper is never publicly released for UCI uh, World Tour races, well, World Championship races. So, all right. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And with the Groenewegen suspension, we don't actually, I don't think we have a lot of the details about that. It's not transparent and uh, it's all a mess. Now, I was thinking about doing a video about it and listen, Benji, never do anything for free that you're good at. If the UCI wants to pick uh, photographic memories of every single professional bunch sprint in the last three to four years and we can talk about all the infractions and say what the rules should say and we can actually draft up some rules that work so that, you know, if you're out of the saddle in the drops, you're sprinting, you don't just have to be that's when your sprint started or just define when you've launched their sprint because there's no way to act for anyone to conclusively and definitively say that Buhani had launched his sprint at that point. He was sprinting, but doesn't the rule mean you're like in clear air? We don't know. Who knows? So, um, but yeah, six to 12 weeks, I think. Buani, yeah, he's a bit of a jerk, it seems. Um, doesn't show much <laughs> like even his apology was a bit half-hearted. That being said, from his perspective, this shit's happened to him like three times in the last 18 months. Cost him yep. a GC, a stage win, and then in Tudela Provence stage one, Ballerini closed him a little bit. So he's probably thinking, you know, he's doing the Balotelli. Why always me? I think, but um, yeah, I think the last point is Benji. Can we say for sure that he knew Stuart was right there? Mm, no, I think we can't because I think we know that 300 meters earlier they were uh, like going into each other already, but that's yeah, it's on the other side of the road and. It doesn't influence this part. I think that he was looking clearly to get into the wheel of Viani and just didn't care if somebody was in the wheel and that didn't care part is the issue. And that is what caused it to happen. He should have been aware or looked whether someone was there instead of making the blind move and making the very reckless move. And that's the issue. Yep. All right. That was our Nasibuani segment. We didn't plan that, but... We got into it for 10 minutes. We might upload it to the LRCP Clips YouTube channel. We're trying to copy all the uh, all the popular YouTubers <laughs> like Impulsive and H3, etc., who have their own Clips channel. But now on to Dwarves Duel of Landron. Women's race, we don't have to cover it technically against on our rules because it's not a world tour race, but if there's a live stream we watch it, we will cover it. So, again. <laughs> Let's talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, about that <laughs> live, live stream, stream Benji. Oh. Yeah. So I'll talk about it. Okay. You um, go. You go first. The issue at hand is the issue at hand is that um, so obviously when someone like Flawless Classics hosts a race, they want to license the race to a uh, well, the host broadcaster gets to record it, and then the race is licensed to people to broadcast it. We know that from Alarhi, who had the same thing for uh, his highlight videos that he makes now. And the issue here is that in Flanders, 
usually Sporza, the uh, national uh, television channel, they usually look into that for the uh, Flemish races. And they did not license themselves or did they, they did not buy the license to broadcast the Dwarves of London women's race. So they also didn't seem to care too much about covering it on their website because they wrote an article of one or two lines on it instead of the usual, uh, like, every second coverage throughout the whole event if they've got the license towards the race. So it seems that they only care about races where they've got the later license from, which sucks a bit I when it would, comes to women's cycling. I would just add and maybe temper that comment a little bit in that <laughs> I went and I tried to buy all the women's Flanders classics highlights rights along with the, men, the men's ones. I said, give them all to me and we'll pay, a, a you know, I, I want all of them and I couldn't they weren't available with all of the men's ones. So perhaps because it was being 4G streamed for a little bit, uh, it's not, yeah, it just wasn't for sale to sports that didn't meet their broadcast standards yet or something. Uh, but, yeah, I wouldn't maybe, the article for sure agree, Benji, like they can watch it on TV or on Proximus or whatever it was, like everybody else, and still write an article about it. But read the broadcast, maybe it wasn't 100% their call, but sorry, go on. So the worst part about it is that eventually you've got a situation where uh, GCN is broadcasting this uh, internationally. So they've got the broadcasting rights. Yep, Eurosport as well. Uh, Eurosport, not in the USA. I heard someone. No, flow bikes in USA, Canada, Canada, Australia. Okay, so a lot of people outside of Belgium were broadcasting it internationally. That's the, the point there. And they all did that with proper commentary and such, except for flow bikes. In Canada, apparently also no commentary. And in Belgium, Proximus, the host broadcaster, decided to broadcast it on fucking Vimeo, of all places. And they did so without <laughs> yes. any commentary. And I, like, pretty good footage. I really though. don't get it. Like When it comes to the host broadcaster doing this, to have someone be able to watch it, I'm kind of fine with it. But if you got a situation like flow bikes, then... I don't like if they don't make commentary for it because then you're basically buying the rights to secure the rights and prevent someone else to get the license to those rights in that region. And you don't put the effort in to make the product good quality for the viewers. And then you're just valuing, yeah, just the exclusivity over the quality of the of the viewership. Is that yeah. like too harsh I mean- of, do you think? Or- you agree? Uh, well, my bigger issue is with Flanders Classics, Benji, and I went into bat pretty publicly for them when they were getting smoked on Twitter on the equal pay debate after Omloop explaining, you know, they're actually doing a good job for live broadcasting. So I, I, I need to back away from that a little bit because we – this is not the first time women's races – that they own have been broadcast with no commentary. And to be honest, it's it's a fucking joke. Like how can you have a race with no, no commentary? And they're talking about the path to have the women's races be commercially sustainable by 2023 or 2024. How is that going to happen if you're not ensuring that the broadcasters you're giving the rights to don't even bother to pay a commentator to commentate on the race and it's not the first time it's happened so that's on flanders classics in my view to 
think, well, okay, we're saying we're doing all these good things, investing six figures euro into the live broadcasting. That's great. I agree. That's not just lip service, but come on, you got to at least say to if if the women's races go with the men's race in the bundle and their broadcaster buys it, you've got to have a clause in there that says you need to do an equally good job production-wise for the women's feed that you're sent. Um, that's a condition of purchase of the men's rights. So, I mean, whether it's Flanders or whoever sold them um, direct t- to everyone else, GCNE Eurosport did a good job. Uh, as usual with their commentary team for the women's. But that's something that's got to be fixed ASAP because I had people talking to me. They're like, I'm watching, I paid for this service and I don't I don't know what's going on. <laughs> so, yeah, that's a big shame. I think uh, some room for improvement there, especially given how vocal Vanden Spiegel was on Twitter a month or so ago about the good job they're doing. but. You know, we hate talking about that sort of stuff. We like talking about the actual race. 122Ks from Vargem to Vargem, Vargem, however you say it. Similar sort of climbs as well in the middle of this race. They've got the Kreuzberg, Bergtenholt, where Van Baal attacked in the men's, Tiekenberg, Holstrat, and then pretty flat, 19K run into the finish. We had Landebregen. On the on the start list, so we had Van Vleuten and Van der Bregen, who we haven't seen for a couple of weeks. Here we have the Trek strong team of Diagnan, Longaborghini, Winder, Van Dyke, Brand, Cordon, Rigaud, some sprinters in Veebs, Roy, Grace Brown as well. Um, so yeah, pretty pretty strong start list to be honest. Drops Lacole, and it was. A weird race, again, from Trek Segafredo, I have to be honest. I mean, they did a pretty good job early, I would say. Um, But, yeah, I just don't understand why they chose to ride for Ellen Van Dyke. That's my biggest problem with what they did today. Um, But, yeah, the... There was a breakaway with Cordon Rigaud, who is on track, Thomas, Jackson, Van der Velde, De Jong on uh, that Ingewald team, I think, and Rude. They got to the Nochteberg with a 24-second lead, but the race opened up when Annemiek van Vleuten and Kasia uh, Nuvia Doma attacked on the Nochteberg, mainly Annemiek van Vleuten, just like when Elisa Longoborghini attacked on the last climb in Ken Favelhem and only Nui Doma could follow her. Big gap. And they started working together. The break was caught and it was all up to Trek Segafredo to chase. They chased with Elisa Longaborghini and called on Rigaud and Ruth Winder, which was kind of surprising. Surprising to me. They had Diagnan and Van Dyke sit in. Brand had been dropped. There was also other sprinters in that group, like Sarah Roy, Liana Lippitt. So Roy had Grace Brown, who could have worked live. They had multiple riders in the group and weren't too quick at going forward. Same with DSM, had Mackay for Lippitt as well, just like they did in Hen Favelhem. So it was pretty obvious that Trek were riding for Van Dyke. Roy punctures, which then meant that Bike Exchange weren't going to chase. So that was a big problem. But 
the gap, it was just like with Van Baal. It held at 20 seconds. The kilometers were ticking down. Every 5Ks that goes past where you haven't brought back Nivea Doma and Annemiek van Vleuten, and we've got you know 25Ks left or so. Every K that goes past, you're less likely to bring them back. Live in DSM weren't contributing. And then the death knell, I think, was Van Dyke beginning one of six attacks trying to bridge across. That was born out of desperation. Why do you think Trek rode for Van Dyke today, Benji? Do you think it's a matter of giving her an opportunity in a 1 1 and so she can work for Longa Borghini on the weekend? Mm, I don't know. I feel like Longo Borghini has been so powerful over the last two, three weeks now that it surprised me because it remi- it kind of looked like they were riding the strains like, for example, the Nolkuda Betik wasn't there anymore and stuff like that. And I think that the likes of an Elisa Longo Borghini is, to me, a better rider when it comes to the Bergs than Van Dijk is. And Van Dijk is better on the on the rough flat cobbles because she's got more of that, that flat engine than... Longo Borghini has, in my opinion. And I think that on this race, the first one is what you are looking for in the majority of the race. And perhaps towards the end, you can go towards uh, using Van Dijk a bit more. But I felt like they were using Longo Borghini extremely early on. And I just don't know. I can't tell you if it's the if it's the good plan or not. But in the end, I felt like with this kind of race, knowing that the last portion of the race is not the hardest section, like the whole Strat Nokerebetich, and then that Hertigemstraat cobble section in the last uh, Danish kilometers, that isn't going to make the race very selective. So if you are, for example, with a good 20 kilometers left with a group relatively significant following those two riders, then I don't know if using Van Dijk is a good strategy because I feel like there's just much better sprinters in that group. And I think that we eventually noticed that in this race. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's the, my main concern, that the selectiveness of the race made it less likely that Van Dijk was a good choice compared to uh, Longo Borghini because Van Dijk would need to have it from an attack and I think that group had enough people if Nivadoma and if, uh, if Van Vleuten was caught that they were, were probably going to counter anything she does from that point onwards. So, yeah, I don't know. It was a, I can't tell if it was a terrible strategy, but I also... Can't tell you if it was the good choice. My view straight away was, I mean, you don't have to have been watching women's cycling for very long to know that if Annemiek van Vleuten goes up the road, especially if she's with yeah. another beast who's willing to work with her, a.k.a. Kasha Naviodoma, then you need to react quickly or that race is going to be gone. I thought the only chance of them bringing it back with that, with that Nocherberg coming up in the last 10Ks was to slap Van Dyke on the front and pull hard and for Mackay, Grace Brown to help. That would have given them a chance, but they didn't. 5Ks to go, 17-second gap. Van Dyke had been dropped on that climb later. I think they still had Diagon in the group. I was like, damn, a Trek really going to not get a top 10 result in either Dwarsdorf, Landren or Han Favelham. That's crazy. Um, they did manage one, but it was pretty clear with about 6Ks to go that Nivea Doma and Annemiek van Vleuten were going to win, and it was who was the better sprinter. And... 
I guess we've seen Van Vleuten's strategy in the past in sprints <laughs> is to light it up really early, use her endurance, and especially out of a corner when the speed is lower to create a bit of a gap. And yeah, that's the way she tries to win sprints. And that's exactly what she did today. There wasn't too much finessing. They both just looked pretty tired going to that run-in. And they, yeah, Annemiek van Vleuten lit it up. She had Nivea Doma on her wheel and she couldn't come round her. Both of them were gassed in the last 25. They both just sat down in the <laughs> saddle and couldn't pedal. So, yeah. Great attack from Van Vleuten. Her first win for her new team, Movistar, she seemed pretty geared up. She was like properly uh, fired up at the finish, which is great to see. Nuvia Doma, she looked in very good form in the last two races, Hanford Abelheim and today. Uh, so that's good to see as well. Two Kenya Shram riders on the podium, Alexis Ryan, the uh, American, winning the bunch sprint for third. So, yeah. Good day for Kenyon Schramm. Quatsini for Valkar, fourth. Uh, Alison Jackson, fifth. Grace Brown, sixth. Mackay, seventh. Bujak, eighth. Van Dijk, nine. And Stina Borgli, tenth. Sarah Giganti. I've got a question I'll, for you. I'll say the 11th, Benji. Let me say the 11th. Giganti, okay, okay, the young Australian right. for Tibco, 11th. Yeah. Even though we normally just do top 10, but big shout out to her, too. Sorry, go on. Okay, I'm going to drop a question for you. I think that it's an interesting no one. Um, I'm sorry that I'm going to force you. Uh, it's going to be a to super chat donation to do that, mate. Uh, yeah, no, not happening. But um, when it comes to the start list, we know that SDWorks wasn't here and it made for a, a different race because there was no real control in that second group to try and chase those two back at a, at a full effort. And you think that would have been a very different race with his day works here? And I think the answer is going to be yes. It's hard to say. It's hard to say which East, it depends which SD works comes. If it's the one at Ken Favelham where the leaders are an off form Jolene Dora who might not have made it over the climbs today, and then they've just got Majerus and Amy Peters. Oh, that version of SD works didn't seem too keen to contribute unless they were in the reduced group. Um, but if they have Anna van der Breggen and Dora in the group and then Majerus and Amy Peters, yeah, different story. They put those two on the front and they <laughs> ride full. So, But then again, if Anna van der Breggen was here, does she get dropped on the Nochteberg climb anyway? Probably not. She'd be doing the <laughs> dropping. Like van der Poel, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I can't wait to see Tour of Flanders this weekend. Elisa Longaborghini, in my view, it used to be, well, not used to be, like last year, the early attack, TT away, Van der Breggen and Van Vleuten, they were the specialists on the climbs. And with that engine, Elisa Longaborghini, she's looking up there. So it'll be interesting if she could join them as well, kind of like a Alaphilippe van der Poel, Wal van Aert situation. The race may not play out that linearly, linear, linearly but um, that could happen for sure. I think Trek, yeah, they got to think about the best way to play it, whether, to, whether attacking with ELB early is the way to go whether they should use their really strong team. Like how can they use Van Dyke and uh, the American national champ to the, you know, in late game 
to put ELB in a good position. But we'll have our Tour of Flanders preview tomorrow. We've got a special guest, which is sorting out for that as well. We'll have the men and women men and women's race preview. We can't wait. Starts and ends in Benji's house. It's a national public holiday <laughs> for him on Monday. And um, yeah, maybe we'll see him standing outside his home if he's allowed to do that. Can you just while we're here, Benji? What are the what's been happening this week with Flanders? Has it been a muted lead up or hype as normal? So, like in previous years, every single time the Tour de France was on, they had this show called Vive Velo, in which they had two guests Sounds every French. evening to talk about oh, the race and so forth. Yeah, you're right. But then again, the Tour de France is also in France because that's where it came from. <laughs> um, but that was like, that's a top-notch show and they've always got interesting talks. And um, I really enjoy watching that. And I think this week they, they brought it up as uh, every single day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Yes, I can count to five days. Um, every evening they've got a similar, uh, yeah, a similar talk show. But I found it most interesting last week when... Uh, it was a similar talk show that they do, uh, I think, every, I don't know. I don't know how regular it is, but we've got this talk show as well, Extra Time Cycling, it's called. And we've got the dude that commentates women's races on it. Um, and his name is like Ruben van Gucht. And I found it so shameful that there were so many like top-notch cycling guests, active uh, men's cycling, uh, a commentator, uh, dad usually does the men's races, a uh, commentator from the radio from like 30 years ago. And the dude that is hosting it is that guy that usually do, does the commentating for the women's race. And he just says like, oh, there was also the women's redox today and uh, this house, blah, blah, blah. And it was really sad to see that everybody on the table was so interestingly involved in trying to get the conversation to the next topic as fast as possible because they didn't know a single clue about about women's cycling, and I think that's an issue. It is. Well, I don't watch Belgian TV yet, but that's why we'll just we just do the podcast. I know we we try and just talk about the race, but sometimes you yeah. just have to talk about the landscape, the broadcast, media landscape around it as well. We can't just ignore what's going on, and we, we should point out, especially as we have the freedom to do so because we can say what we like really um yeah that's all i have to say on it mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market 